0: Welcome to the Top Order Podcast, another episode of the Cricketing Hall of Fame coming your way. We're very, very close to the top 20. We're counting down 25 through 21 on this instalment. We go all around the world, from England to Pakistan, South Africa, Australia, and then across to the West Indies. So stay tuned um, to see who is in the very upper echelons of the Cricketing Hall of Fame. Coming up very soon. Well, welcome back, boys, to the Cricketing Hall of Fame. We're going to put, as normal, six minutes on the clock for five cricketers. Bordy, I've got to admit, um, very, very difficult to get too much YouTube footage um, or info on the first inductee into our Cricketing Hall of Fame. But tell us just why we've got uh,
1: this particular individual on the list. Oh, Stuart made me uh is the, is the long story short uh, so we compiled the list I, I passed it out for feedback and Stuart came back very very quickly and said how can you not have this guy on the list i mean how can you not have him in the list and to be fair he didn't qualify in terms of the number of wickets or the number of tests played but his statistics are that good that Stuart demanded his inclusion and demanded that i that i might... so he must be australian He is not. He is surprisingly not Australian. He's George Lohman, a veteran of 18 tests, I believe, for England, Uh, a batting average of eight and a bowling average of 10, uh, which tells you you just how good a bowler he was. I mean, to be fair, his his first-class average as a batter is 18 and his bowling average is 13. So, you know, he was a much better uh, batter at at club level. Uh, But, look, he he played 18 tests uh, from sort of 1880s through to the early 1900s. Averaged 10.75 with the ball. That's Indeed. first of all time. Averaged, uh, sorry, a strike rate of 34.1. That's first all time. Uh, he has five 10-wicket hauls and 18 tests. So that is uh, 13 tests, uh, 10-wicket hauls per 100 tests. That's first all time. And he has nine, nine five-wicket innings as well, I think, something like that. Uh, just unbelievable. The, the rate at which he took... Five fers and ten in test cricket. And just to give you an idea of how prolific he was, 293 first-class matches, 57 five wicket holes? No, no, no. They're 10 wicket holes. Oh. 57 ten fers and 176 five fers in 293 first-class games. I mean, this guy was an unbelievable bowler. I mean, yes, we have to put this into context, right? Uncovered wickets... To a, lot, to, a, to a certain extent, some of them hand-cut wickets, right? No machine rollers, no machine lawnmowers, hand-cut wickets. So imagine, if you will, Glenn McGrath and Jimmy Anderson turning up to bowl on an uncovered hand-cut wicket and imagine the carnage that they would be able to create for batters who didn't have helmets, who didn't have... Uh, big bats, they had tiny little matchsticks worth of bats and and no padding, imagine the carnage that they could unleash upon the world, even with lower fielding standards, even with people not chasing the ball to the boundary as professionally and as athletically as players do these days. 10.75. Has to be inch to it, doesn't he? Well, he
2: does. I mean, you've just you've just explained why he has to be, and I don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't know what even more
1: I can add. I, well, I, you're right, but we don't know a lot about him other than his other than his stats. Because you're right, very hard to find YouTube of George Loman bowling. As, yeah, as per. And
2: yeah, and I did I did try and kind of um, you know I haven't dived back too much into the the history books of cricket, but I, you know I did try and find, and I, I think uh, you probably touched on it then in terms of why he's here. I mean, obviously all those first of all time, first of all time, first of all time, those get him in uh, on that sense. But if you're thinking about the Glenn McGraths and Jimmy Anderson, is is that
1: the kind of bowler That's that, the comp. that he was? And, yeah, he's and, that kind of bowler. So, you know, tremendously accurate, move the balls both ways off the seam, always hit the seam, didn't give you anything to hit, didn't give you any width, didn't give you anything short or rubbish. It's, that's McGrath and Anderson, right? And swung the ball a little bit as well, swung the ball both ways. So, you know, he did everything with it, and he did it on uncut wickets. It's hard to, hard to combat that if, you're, uh, if you've if you only got a matchstick in your hand. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just jump in here, lads, with one more stat before we move on, because there's not a lot we can talk about a guy that none of us have seen. We're only going on the historical record here. But one thing I did want to point out is in that era, not all wickets were covered, and not all wickets were grass. So he actually played on matting surfaces in South Africa, averaged 5.8 with the ball on that tour. Uh, So very, very, very handy. Uh, A couple of peak series here. South Africa in South Africa averaged 5.8, as we said. Australia in Australia averaged 8.5 and struck at 28. Uh, And then uh, Australia in England in 1888 averaged uh, 13 with the ball. Six test matches, uh, three test matches, took 11 wickets at a strike rate of 34. So that's how prolific he was. That's South Africa series, 35 wickets in three games, two and four 5-fers. So reasonable bowler in, in friendly conditions and unfortunately only lived to the age of 36. So he passed away uh, from tuberculosis. He, he went to live in South Africa to try and combat that illness and then came back to England uh, as part of a, a touring site, I think maybe, um, or as a manager. Um, and passed away unfortunately, at at the young age of thirty six. so um didn't didn't live a long time, but the the mark that he left on on certainly the statistics of Test cricket um just unbelievable. And um I mean, you you kind of captured my interest there
2: with the, I suppose, and the the idea that's always fascinated me, and I think it's come from uh, when we go, or I used to have these videos, I think I've talked about it, of uh, Brad a, a video of of Bradman uh, back in the day. And then also a video of the Invincible Australian Invincibles tour that that went over to England, and you know the idea of uh, teams going over on ships, and uh, you know that was in 1949 or whatever it was. 48, yeah. 48. This this is in the 1890s and stuff going over to you know traveling at that time was a big deal. Absolutely. And all of those kind of things. It's just, I mean, fascinating. I, I yeah. If, if people do have recommendations for uh the you know a, a a life story of Loman and all those kind of things I would be quite interested to uh, to get those on the socials.
1: Mm.
0: Well guys, let's move on to the next inductee into the cricketing Hall of Fame. Um Bordy, the, the first thing I want to ask you to try and explain as you you introduce this fella is just where he ranks. Um we're going to talk about a great um all-rounder with undoubted leadership quality, but just how does he stack up against some of the other great all rounders and, and who are we going to have a little chat about? Well,
1: I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I want to finish on leadership because I think it's one of the most salient points in this person's career, but I want to start with the eye test lads. I reckon this player quite possibly best looking cricketer <laughs> in the history of test cricket, uh, certainly in the history of test cricket. Um, look, you want to talk to their own each, I guess each to their own. We we say it flippantly. The twelfth man kind of you know touched on it in his in his um, in his parody tapes, but he he this man brought sex appeal to cricket. Absolutely, no doubt about it. And never we'd never really seen that before. Maybe the odd sort of you know bit of a cad or a bit of a bounder in in the teams of, of of eras past. But Imran Khan, he made cricket. Sexy. And he made being a cricketer sexy like no one before or perhaps even since, maybe with the exception of Viv Richards. But, look, I mean, you have a look at his stats, though. 88 test matches, 3,807 runs for his country, at an average of 37.69, which is a pretty good test average for a lower order better. He has six test hundreds. Uh, he has 18 test fifties. But he also has 362 test wickets at an average of 22.8 and a strike rate under 55. So his his average and strike rate as a bowler qualify him for the Hall of Fame, absolutely. Just as a bowler, no doubt about it. So average under 25, strike rate under 55 or under 60, absolutely qualify him. 22nd in wickets, 18th in bowling average, Uh, 10th in 10-fers, he got 6 10-fers in his career, and 23 5-fers. And all of those bowling stats, they're all inside that top 35, top 30 mark. Even when you have a look at 10 wickets per 100 tests, 5 wickets per 100 tests, average above replacement player is 11th all time when you factor in average above replacement player plus 8. So, you know, he is one of the great, great bowlers of all time. Then you throw in the ability for him to bat with an average of 37.5, six test hundreds. I mean, absolutely tremendous cricketer.
2: And, when and uh, you know, Binksy just asked you to compare him to the all-rounders, so I think that's a, a good place to start. But when you do that, I, I'm stunned he's this low. Because I honestly, I, when I think about the, the all-round career that he had, I, I really think he's, you know, I know 24 is, is pretty high in the mm. Hall of
1: Fame, but... It almost feels criminally low to me. It, it does. And and what I will say is that I had a look at the all-rounders and tried to balance them out in, in the kind of one to a hundred so that they weren't all clumped together arbitrarily. The reason I landed on Imran Khan in the low 20s is we've got two more all-rounders to go. One of them's a New Zealander. Uh, In fact, we've got three more all-rounders to go, actually. Mm -hmm. We've got uh, a West Indian, we've got a New Zealander, and we've got a South African to go in terms of all-rounders. And so I have this guy roughly fourth. And so mid to low 20s seemed about right for me in terms of having three guys above him sort of, sort of 1 to 20-ish. But, I mean, if you have a look at the last 10 years of his career... Oh, it's astonishing. Let's have a look at this. He averaged 50 with the bat and 19 with the ball over the last 10 years of his career. Last episode, we covered Shiv Chanderpool, seven player of the series awards. This guy has eight. He has three sevenfers and an 8 eightfer in an innings in wins. Uh, sorry, in, in an innings, in, in tests as a bowler. And he's got 600s. I mean, this guy is an unbelievable, unbelievable cricketer. You might be right. He might be too low. But I just those guys above him and just try to balance it out, that order, it made it hard for him to be in the sort of top 12, top 15. But as a leader, unbelievable leader of, of men, not only in the test arena but also in the one-day arena as well. And we, and we haven't really touched on that in the Test Hall of Fame too much. But actually he's probably one of the best leaders of 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 a cricket side that we have ever seen
2: and uh, and then kind of
1: moved it moved it
2: into a, a even bigger sphere since then yeah absolutely bensey yeah
0: again one of those guys that kind of just comes to the end of our cricket watching era doesn't he um you know or oh, sorry at the start of our cricket watching um era sort of i think played his last test match in 1992 i vividly remember his performances in that 92 world cup particularly in that final where unfortunately for me england obviously lost out to you know his his great uh great side in that game i, I, I think for me and you've written it in the notes baldy and um, it's what followed him as well you know Wazim and wacker and show and um, all of those kind of guys that have probably been inspired by by watching him he was rapid as well early in his career and i think probably slowed down mm. a little bit um and got a lot more wickets with you know with the mental uh, mental strength. Um, but yeah, the, the eye test is the, is the key thing. There, there was that just sort of level of um, disdain sometimes for opposition bowlers and um, absolute uh, majesty with the ball, ability to swing it both ways and lace. Um, yeah, look, reverse. reverse, before reverse was a... Was a thing, a thing. Um, yeah, look, and look, as you say, to be at the point where he's probably this sort of level in the list just as a bowler, and then adding a batting average um, pretty close, near as damn it, to forty in Test cricket, and and probably the influence of the innings that he had even more so, um really, really as a as a captain. Um, and that latter period of his career, as you've alluded to, where he averaged over 50, uh, look, just a fantastic, fantastic um, cricketer. Um, from a leadership perspective, though, unfortunately, recently ousted from the um, Pakistani um, uh, prime minister. Um, yeah, just as we're going to press, actually, sort of April, May time this uh, this year.
2: Yeah, it looks stunning. the 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 ITS, as you say, it's just a stunning watch. The ball just swinging around, hooping all over the place. It it genuinely is like if you haven't if you haven't watched footage of Imran Khan, then you you must go and and do that. Stop, pause the podcast and go and do it right now. Wait till
0: afterwards.
1: <laughs> you know what really struck me when he was bowling. I just want to touch on this before we move on. Is the you have a look at the way he sets up and he runs in quite close to the stumps and then kind of jumps out a bit. It reminds Mm. me a little bit of like a Carl Rackerman or maybe a little bit of a Jeff Thompson. But the thing that kind of struck me is if I was facing that kind of bowling, and I haven't in my career very much, but I imagine if I did, I'd feel like I'd have to play everything because you feel like you're trying to line him up sort of straight on with the umpire. Mm. And then all of a sudden he's kind of changing the angle on you and it's kind of the ball's now coming at you from slightly wider in the crease, and you've lined him up one way, and now that you've got that kind of different angle, I'd feel like I'd have to play a lot. And I think batters were not suckered into that, but felt that they had to play Imran Khan a lot, even when the ball was maybe in fourth or fifth stump channel, that they felt like they had to play. The fact that he swung the ball both ways on command would make you have to play that as well, because you're in danger of losing your off stump all the time. Ball's pitching in fifth stump channel to to hit the top of your off stump. So... I mean, he was just a tremendous, tremendous bowler, and I think that's the thing that makes these guys, these kind of bowlers exceptional, is you feel like you have to play them all the time. You know, you can't line a Brett Lee up, even if he's at 150 and they're right, okay, if it's out there, I can just let it go. Mm. I'm not going to see it, but I know that if at some point it's outside my eye line, I can let it go, whereas with Imran and with some of these other bowlers that we'll talk about in the top 20, you have to play them all the time because they're giving you nothing and they're making you play.
2: Look, if, if there's still some time, I, I wouldn't mind you just telling me the 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 Hadley, You know, you talked about three kind of uh, that are ahead of him, and we mm-hmm. all, we haven't got to Richard Hadley. I'm sure it'll come as no surprise to New Zealand listeners that uh, you know we are going to get to him eventually. Yeah, he'll be on the list at some point in, yeah. in the Hall of Fame. He yeah. is in one of the the top hundred. As much as I am, you know, a hometown Fan. advocate, I, I really think Imran just. It's hard for me to think but that Imran felt like a genuine all rounder. Whereas Hadley, I, I
1: know he contributed with the bat, he scored runs. Hadley's a bowler. But Hadley was a bowler. He he's he's a bowler and I have him on this list as a as a heavily bowling oriented all rounder, yeah. right? He he is an all rounder in the sense that he's got a plus minus that's in the positive, right? Yeah. But Hadley is first and foremost a bowler. This guy is a bowling all-rounder, a genuine all-rounder, Average 37 with the bat. You know, that's better than a bunch of wicketkeeper bats that we've seen go through the Hall of Fame. It's a bunch of, better than a bunch of players that we've seen have reasonable to decent test careers as a batter. Um, the reason that I have Hadley higher than Imran Khan, and we'll touch on it when we talk about Hadley, is his excellence. As a bowler and his ability to take big bags of wickets, Richard Hadley, um, and the fact that he's got 430 of them as opposed to 360 of them, you know, mm. so there are advantages: slightly better average, slightly better strike rate, um, more wickets, etc. Has him edging Imran Khan as a bowler. But if you had to pick one guy to bat six or seven in your team and bowl, I'd take this guy. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I really, I, I really would, I, I really and
2: would. Uh, and I think that's where, even as we get to the next couple of players on this list, I think. When I look at things, that's sort of how I might have done this list differently than you, is that I would have gone, who who would I have actually picked in my side before these guys? And, and I think it almost always, for a lot of these guys, it would have been Imran, which which is why I feel like at 24, he's very low
1: And you know what's interesting? I would have picked him third in my list of all-rounders. So to have him between 22 and 33 would, for me, be about right. I'd have yeah. two other guys ahead of him as, a, as an all-rounder in my cricket team. Boom. Well, boys, b- before we need to take two minutes off an Australian later
0: in the podcast to offset <laughs> yeah, we can do f- offset the eight minutes we've uh, we've racked up on Imran Khan, we are going to move on to someone who was absolutely rapido, as they would have said around the leagues. Um, who are we going to talk about next on the list, Baldy?
1: we talked about guys that were easy to line up when we were just talking about Imran Khan. We were talking about guys with, you know, that were either easy to line up, a Brett Lee style of bowler, or a guy that's hard, I reckon, hard to line up. I reckon Alan Donald would have been reasonably easy to line up because he came in and he kind of bowled in the same channel, varied a bit like Jimmy, varied his position on the crease ever so subtly. But you, I reckon you could feel like you line Alan Donald up. The difference with Alan Donald is once you've lined him up, there's pretty much bugger all you can do about it. <laughs> because Alan Donald bowled that fast and swung the ball that late that I reckon it wouldn't matter if I was able to turn back time or slow time down, there would be nothing that I could do about I could play the same ball, exactly the same ball, over and over again for Alan Donald, and knowing exactly where it's going to be, Edge of Tomorrow style, shout out to, to that Thomas Cruise film, there's nothing I can do about it because it would, just, it would take my wicket every single time. Let's have a look at his stats. 72 tests. He has 330 test wickets at 22.25. That's 12th all-time. Strike rate of 47 flat. That's 9th. A fast bowler striking at under 50. Unbelievable. 310 furs, 25 furs. Average above replacement player that's top 10 all-time, plus 8.23, and, you know, 330 test wickets. Just an unbelievable bowler in an era where he... Got help, but not world class help. You know, he didn't have that um, world class fast bowling partner. You know, you talk about Wazim and Waka, Ambrose and Walsh, um, Lillian Thompson. Uh, I was going to say McGrath and Warren, but one of those is not a spin bowl. Uh, one of those is not a pace bowler. He didn't really have that, but yet I, I won't. Yet, I won't
2: stand for any funny Davila's slander on this podcast.
1: I won't slander funny <laughs> but uh, but but he's not. He's not Wasim or Waccar no, or, or, or or Ambrose or Walsh. We I love Farnade de Villosarning, I mean, he's a great player. But Alan Donald was just he was two or three orders of magnitude above any of his peers at the time. He really, really was.
0: Yeah, three things on Donald for me. One, floodlight cricket in the UK started, I think, with the pretty much with the Axa League uh one day domestic competition. Remember going and seeing him bowling. Um, under lights and there weren't very good floodlights there were these portable ones wielding on the back of four trucks and you could probably barely see and remember Keith Piper who was the wicketkeeper at the time was actually on the 30 metre circle first slip outside the circle um, from side on Um, that's what I remember about um, AD back probably late very late 90s early 2000s maybe about, about that sort of time the second thing and i guess he started his career for the free state in you know the, the mid 80s i just wonder you know post apartheid south africa he's probably missed three or four years of his test career um as a result of that he'd have probably been playing a little bit earlier and he might have been even quicker uh, at that particular point as well so um that's the you know the unanswered um unanswered question Um, for me. And the third thing is, Baldy, I'd love to tell you, I'd love to see you tell him you could line him up and then watch, uh, watch you get peppered in an indoor net somewhere.
1: Oh, I, I, I would feel like I could, I know I couldn't, I would feel like I could line him up, but like I say, I could, I could slow down time completely and I'd still, I'd still nick off or get hit in the shoulder and not know that the ball was coming. I mean, he was lightning fast. He was super duper fast. Unfortunately, because he didn't have that level of help, he tended to get over bowled a lot. And I think that led to injuries later on in his career and he wasn't nearly as effective. Um, just one more step before we go. 1998, he took 80 wickets in a calendar year. That's second among fast bowlers of all time. Only one person has taken more wickets as a fast bowler in a calendar year than his 80 in 1998. The reason that I love Alan Donald so much, and I don't know what it is about, I do know what it is about him, it's the fact that whenever he got a wicket, he would smile. I hate Aggro fast bowlers. I really do. Because as a spinner, I can get a wicket. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't run down and stare at someone. I look like a goose. I look like a fool. But fast bowlers can do it. And so I I really liked that when Alan Donald took a wicket, nicked somebody off, he would get both arms in the air, and he'd just run down with this great big grin on his face like, this is brilliant. And it was his, his exuberance and his... Um, his outpouring of joy, not of anger or of or of or of disdain or hatred, but just the joy of being able to bowl fast and take a wicket, is what I loved about him. As opposed to you know a bowler that's snarly and gets you out and gives you a send off, I, I I didn't really get that from Donald, uh, and that's why I love him. I, I will uh, back that up and say that yeah he
2: was he was someone I loved. Watching, we're actually going to. We've got two more left. There's one that I vehemently sports hated, yep. uh, and and w- another one uh, coming up that I, you know, absolutely sports loved as, as well as as opposition players. But yeah, Donald was was definitely one of those players that I just wanted to watch and wanted to see all the time.
0: Well, guys, let's move on. No surprises. We are going to be off to Australia again in this list of greatest cricketers from around the world but I don't think you'll get any arguments uh, from either me or Lippy uh, on
1: this inductee boardy. Where are we going next on the cricketing Hall of Fame? Yeah, so you called it early. Adam we we're going to talk about an Australian cricketer and I think I want to open this discussion by saying that some some cricketers, very few of them, but some of them transcend their statistics. We're going to talk about um, one here from Australia and there's another one that I've got lined up from the West Indies who's impact on cricket transcends what ends up on a piece of paper at the end of their career. And Eric Gilchurch is one of those cricketers for Australia. He he changed... Excuse me? <laughs> so when, when Adam Gilchrist first came into the Australian cricket team, someone didn't know who he was <laughs> and called him Eric Gilchurch. And so from that day on, his nickname inside the circles of the Australian cricket team was either Eric or church and so early on and you'll see if you go back vintage t20 shirts where you could pick your nickname he had either church or churchy on the back of his shirt he was eric gilchurch that's fantastic um, i did not know that story he look <laughs> he changed for better or for worse he changed the complexion of wicket keeping in test cricket uh some would argue that he changed it for the poorer because now Richard punt uh who else am i thinking of uh, maybe to a lesser extent Jos butler um, may, not maybe not quite Mohamed Rizwan, but you kind of get the drift. Batting is a more important skill now, even in Test cricket, than, than glove work and tidiness with the gloves and artistry with the gloves. And that started with Adam Gilchrist because he came into Test cricket and changed the way that wicketkeeper batters played their game. Adam.
0: Yeah, Bordie, I'm going to zag a little bit on this and, and we'll come back to you, I'm sure, to talk his career statistics. I don't don't necessarily think we're doing him a great service by saying he transcends those stats. When we actually look at his stats, they are sensational as essentially an all-rounder for me. Um, On the keeping piece, I was devastated when he got picked because I didn't get to see my hero play in a test match at Brisbane because this guy was playing instead, uh, made his debut at at the expense of Ian Healy. Um, But I'm actually going to counter that whilst he... Wasn't as good a keeper as Healy over the course of his career. He would still be in the top, probably ten keepers of all time. Even taking a leg side stumping in his first game, um, which some of those other guys you, you just wouldn't um, wouldn't get. He was a much better keeper than people um, gave him credit for. Um, Is going to be my slight zag around your uh, your stats and
1: your keeping purity. I, I will agree with you. And and it's not a slight on Adam Gilchrist's keeping that established that trend, but it's everybody else went, we can't we find a one. guy who's that good. We, we need one. We can't find one. So what we'll do is we'll take the best batter that can average 40 or 45 and hand them a pair of wicket-keeping gloves and hope they hang on to one. Um, so that's the thing that's changed. You're absolutely right. And Adam Gilchrist – Improved out of sight as a wicketkeeper over the course of his career, he was really, really good by the end of it. He was world class by the yeah. end of it. A bit like Rod Marsh, started out with a nickname of Old Iron Gloves, but by the end of it, he was a world class wicketkeeper. Adam Gilchrist, absolutely the same. Let's have a look at some of those stats. Ninety six Tests, I think he won ninety four of those ninety six Tests. Stuart, is that right? Ninety four or ninety six, something N- like no,
2: that? No, 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 no. He won seventy three of oh, his okay. ninety of his ninety six Tests, but I would and only lost eleven. But I would still say that's that's. Got to be, I'm going to say it's almost got to be the best ratio of all time. Sure, and why not for, for someone that's played that number of tests? Well, like it's that, almost
1: that, seven to one. That when is to last ratio. unbelievable. When, like
2: actually, you know, someone that's played nearly a hundred tests, two have won, seventy three of them. You know, you might there might be a player in there that has lost fewer tests. But to actually win them outright is is
1: amazing. Unbelievable. 379 catches, 37 stumpings, 5,570 test runs at an average of 47.6 with 17 test centuries and 26 half centuries. Let's put some of that into perspective, right? Because we've had a couple of chats about Gilchrist and I had a chat with a few friends, I think it was around a New Year's period a couple of years ago when we were talking about Gilchrist's impact on cricket. And someone said, you know what? I reckon Kumar Sangakkara was a better wicketkeeper bat than Gilchrist. Certainly he's a better bat. But if you have a look at Sangakkara's average as a batter when he was the designated wicketkeeper, it's 40.4, which just goes to show you his average in test cricket, I think was like 56 or something ridiculous. It was unbelievable. But as a wicketkeeper, it was only 40, which shows you just how hard it is to be a wicketkeeper and a batter at the same time. The other thing that strikes me here is behind Verinder work Adam Gilchrist has the second best strike rate of anyone who has over like, I think it's 2,000, might be 5,000 runs, in the history of Test cricket. Second best strike rate, most hundreds as a designated wicketkeeper. I mean, his impact is as significant as the likes of Richards, of Warren, of Murali, of any great, great cricketer you want to name he has had, for better or for worse, the same impact on changing the way that cricket has played as any of those guys. The only other thing I really wanted to touch on was his leadership, or maybe not lack of leadership, but lack of opportunity to lead. And he's ha- he has captained Australia. I think he captained them in a one-day series against New Zealand, in New Zealand maybe, something like that. I don't recall that, but maybe. maybe. In a one-day series. I'm pretty sure he captained Australia in a one-day series. Um, but he was he was this victim of... Wicket keepers can't also be captains mentality. You can't wicket keep and bat and be captain. It's too much. You can't do it. Well, we've proved now that that's actually not true, that wicket keepers can be successful test captains. But at that time, there was this mentality that your captain had to be a batter. It couldn't be a bowler. It certainly couldn't be a fast bowler, and it should not be a wicket keeper. Um, But Adam Gilchrist, I think, would have made a great test captain. I think he would have probably brought together some of those factions that we talked about under war and to a lesser extent Ricky Ponting and certainly under Michael Clark there were factions within that Australian team. I think he would have been able to bring them together cuz he's just such a likeable bloke. I mean, am I am <laughs> I he, wrong? Is he? I think he is. <laughs> well, it wasn't
2: it wasn't for me as a as a New Zealander, right? The I think the walking kind of got me offside in a lot of ways. I, I think the you know for any listeners who don't know that he went through a span there where he always walked and and basically it was you know, he kind of sledged everybody that didn't walk in on the field, and yeah, it, it it irritated me a great deal. There was a, I mean, there's a series that New Zealand was over there and uh, absolutely robbed, and uh, it gave a big spray to, to Craig McMillan. So it wasn't it wasn't uh, something that I enjoyed as a, as a fan. But oh, look, I appreciate his his cricket, everything you've said so far. But I don't I don't think he was universally loved here in New Zealand.
1: You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't as an Australian though. If you if you if you walk then you're damned and if you don't walk then you're damned. I, but I get your point, right? You you can't take a it's it's one of those things where if you choose to walk, that's your own personal decision. That is not a decision that is therefore able to be foisted upon the rest of the world. But generally speaking, I think as an Australian cricketer, he was probably one of the easier ones to like.
0: Yeah, look look it's amazing how yeah, what one man's view can can differ. I was going to ask the same question but dress it in in A completely different way I I guess Gilchrist I think has you know gone down as one of those kind of nice guys of the game and and even ostracized by his own team probably from walking so I was going to say that was you know credit um, in the bank for him and yeah the added bonus that he managed to distract Craig McMillan who I think was out shortly after that incident in that test match is while it was that's why it probably uh, hurts a little bit for you Lippy. Let's move on to the last recipient of the Hall of Fame Awards this week, at least. Um, We're going to go to the West Indies. Uh, We're going to go, I believe, Baldy, to Antigua. Um, Who have we got? This uh, mean bass player, um, but also sent down the odd missile as well.
1: Mm, I've got here in my notes, most intimidating fast bowler that ever lived, question mark. Wow. So we'll, we'll unpack that. Uh, Sir Curtly Ambrose played 98 tests for the West Indies. He took 405 wickets at an average of 20.99 and a strike rate of 54.5. Ten, uh, three tenthers, 22 5 uh, an average above replacement player of plus 9.7. That's third all-time, by the way. Uh, his average of 20.99 is sixth all-time and he's 16th on the wicket charts with 405 wickets. I want to open that up. Most intimidating fast bowler that ever lived. Prove me wrong.
2: Oh, I, I don't, I don't know if I can prove you wrong. I mean, look, I, yeah, Binks, I don't know, Binks, did you want to answer that before I jump into a few things? Yeah, look, he was the
0: nemesis of England. Um, whilst I was growing up, I, I think you know, early the first TV cricket I think I saw was probably a series early 90s in the West Indies. Uh, he dominated in that. I remember the series where. Um, Lara got his 365. Ambrose dominated in that series. I remember taking a new ball and and getting five for about nothing in you know a devastating spell. I think in 90-95 um, and then on some pitches where he um, absolutely ripped through England. I think Boulders out for something like forty six or something in a test match. Um, him and Courtney Walsh and um, to Bordy's point. I know that that pitch was, you know, a little bit corrugated and up and down and um, the likes of Alex Stewart, who was a pretty tough cricketer, said it was one of the only times he was scared. Um, and it, yeah, I guess that's not to mention, I think it was, was it Dean Jones who asked him to take his wristbands off or something like that? Balling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which yeah. didn't go down well in the Australian um, dressing room. I mean, look, the guy was, what, six foot seven, so was bowling the ball yep. from probably 11, Ten feet. To 11 foot. Yep. Um, yeah, Baldy, you wouldn't say you'd line him up and try and smash him around. The no, 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 I
1: def- 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 definitely couldn't line up. So Let's just talk about, like, I-, I have made that comment, not flippantly, but I actually genuinely think he is the most intimidating fast bowler that's ever lived, maybe with the exception of one, and we'll get to him a little bit later on. Steve Ward described him as the most complete bowler that ever lived mm-hmm. that he's seen. Uh, I watched a great uh, masterclass in the English summer with Atherton and Nath- Nasser Hussain... Facing, um, facing Sir Kirtley Ambrose in the indoor school. In, you know, it was in the lunch break or in a rain break or whatever. And Michael Atherton basically described that as a batter, he would like to think that he could get forward to most bowlers. But he said that Ambrose and McGrath, he just felt like he could not get forward ever, 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 ever. And he reckons he probably drove Ambrose three times in his whole career. And he was I don't think he was being flippant when he said that. I think he genuinely was thinking, I can just never get forward to this guy because he would always at the pace that he bowled and the height that he bowled, I reckon you could put an ice cream container lid on the test cricket wicket and he would hit it five out of six times in an over. He was so unerringly accurate that, you know, if if you just left him. To his own devices, he just hit that all day, and he famously said, "You know, you want to drive, you go buy a car." <laughs> yeah,
2: I, look, he was he was the first bowler I think from another country that I just loved. It I, I mean, there was There's so there's so many different things about him. He he just seemed he seemed cool. He you know like he, infinitely cool, infinitely cool as a you know as as a young player. Me just watching him. He was amazing as a cricketer. He was fast. Sometimes it seemed like he was just ambling in. And then the
1: ball would just fly past someone's nose. It's just amazing. He talked about that in the masterclass actually, because they asked him about it. They asked him because his wrist position on gather was was subtly different every time. And they asked, uh, I think it might have been Nas or, or, or Athos asked him, was that a deliberate thing, the positioning of your wrist as you gathered the ball in your sort of gather at back foot impact? And he goes, No, no, no. I just wanted to be relaxed as a bowler. You know, I didn't. I wanted to run into the crease and feel relaxed. So sometimes it was kind of here, and the other times it was over the other side. It was just about me being relaxed and i thought about that and it's actually true he and courtney walsh were kind of these two bowlers together at the same time pair of them that would just run in they were completely relaxed when they ran to the crease and they kind of had you know you, you, you traditionally your biomechanics so you have your you gather and you're all nice and tight and you're coiled and you know all of these kinds of t- words that it, it, it evoked tension, but these guys, they just ro- they rolled in quickly because they were big, tall guys, but they were just so relaxed and their gather was relaxed. It was infinitely repeatable, but I think because they were so relaxed, they didn't get injured as much because they weren't placing undue stress on their body, and, you know, famously, Walsh was able to bowl for 20 or 21 seasons, you know, winter and, winter and summer without a break. Ambrose, not quite to that extent. But I think his longevity can be put down to the fact that he was such a relaxed character, and his his almost his swing thought, his run-up thought was just relax, and that's what gave him the longevity. And, and why did he stop? Last
2: three years, averaged 16, 23, 17 in the final year, three years of his career. I, I,
1: I, what, he should have kept going. Well, he, he, he decided that he'd had enough, and fair enough. Like If you're a fast bowler and you sort of had decided that, okay, my body is not going to cope with this anymore, I think that's, that's the right time to go. I think for fast bowlers, one game too few rather than one too many, right? Mm. But just an unbelievable competitor, 405 test wickets. I mean, how many of those 405 test wickets were dismissed by a stare? I reckon at least half right? He's walked 15 or 16 yards down and just looked at you and the next ball he's nicked you off. I reckon it's at least half is is, is just being stared out. He never said anything. Never, ever said anything. Never swore at anyone. He had that go at Steve War once because Steve War swore at him, but he just never, ever said anything on the cricket field because he didn't need to. And, and you're right, Binksy, in talking
2: about uh, England. I saw a stat there that he, in 63 innings against England he averaged 18. So, yeah, did an enormous of da- amount of damage Against them, and and I think actually when y- you look at, when I think about players that have that bowled spells where they take a bag of wickets in a very short time for no runs, I don't think there's anyone that I can think of that did it more than than Curtly Ambrose. Maybe there is someone out there that that has done it, but yeah, you know, Stuart the,
1: Broad br- comes to mind when he gets we get his tail up. Modern times, he's hard to hard to resist. But this guy, I mean, the, seven the for one against seven Australia. For one.
2: There's, there's there's instances of five for one or five for you know there's all these five for's and things mm. for the, in a very short span of time. And it the just, six
1: for twenty four against England that Adam yep. referred to earlier. I mean, they are just unbelievable spells. Six player of the series in his career. I mean, as a bowler to win player of the series when you've got Walsh at the other end, I mean, that's just an incredible achievement as well.
0: Well, boys, I've got to admit, I'm having cold sweats here just thinking about Curtly <laughs> Ambrose destroying England through the course of the 90s. But that is a good point to wrap up this episode of the Cricketing Hall of Fame. Next time we convene, we're going to be into the top 20 cricketers of all time. So we hope you can join us when that episode hits your podcast feed we will be of course back with more this week in cricket we've got the culmination of the test match going on right now england versus india so that may well be um, in your feed very very shortly as well as cricket going on all around the world as we lead into um, the end of the english summer and of course plenty of white ball cricket um, coming up with a world cup as well so please do stay tuned into the top order podcast feed you can find out what's coming up on the top or get in touch with us on facebook instagram and twitter but for now it's good night and god bless from us all here in auckland we'll see you soon